Hello guys, so hope everybody's doing good. Um, I'm just about to drive to physio, which probably makes for quite a good topic. And then I'll probably just um, yarn a bit like I normally do. So um, physio is something that I would get quite regularly. Um, usually I get physio twice a week. Um, this week I'm going to get physio three times. Um, and actually there's not because anything's wrong, but, um, I suppose you could say because I can, which isn't me trying to be arrogant. It's, it's just the option is there and I'm quite well aware of, um, I've added quite a bit of training stimulus, I suppose you could say, um, from the last time, like for the build up to the Olympics, if you're looking at, I mean, it's actually quite appalling. It, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I feel like I've came to the conclusion that my 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 total application in terms of running's running's a bit of a full package, you know. And so, like, you can you can have you can see it as a whole package. And I think in I think when I read Seb, it's not maybe it's Seb Coe's book, or it's basically about his dad and Sebastian Coe and um. They talk about running in like a, I think the what they use is like a patchwork quilt, and you've all you've all these elements that are, you know, kind of important and and kind of add up to, you know, the end result so to speak, um, and so like that's what I mean by the entire package. So my application to the entire package, you know, it might have been like a if you if you remove the night out, where I obviously go out and get like pissed drunk and obviously I'm not going to start justifying that a month out from an Olympic Games that's the okay thing to do um, I'm also not going to waste anybody's time by justifying why I might have did that but but in terms of like the the overall application to training I'm going to give it like an eight and a half out of ten and that's because there was a lot of time at altitude that's because I, I used the resources that I had available in terms of physio, massage. I was in the gym twice a week. Um, and that's just that, that idea of total application, like um, applying yourself to try to get a good result out of the Olympic Games. Um, now, the next part that I'm going to go on to say is probably the part that ended up being a little bit disappointing. Um, and the disappointing part was... Whether it was my fault or not, when I go back, I think it's like the 16th of June. And on the 16th of June, I run like a 95-mile week. I think it's my second week above 90. I'm in Flagstaff. Everything at that point seems on a pretty good trajectory towards the Olympic Games. I, I basically finish off... Uh, a three-week spell where the miles are all between 90 to 100. You know, there's good long runs. There's a there's a couple of good sessions, like 30 times 400s, um, 12 mile where I change paces. I go marathon pace, half marathon effort, things like this. It's a really good spell. Um, and then what happens is I decide to take an easy week. And I actually talked about that on the podcast you know, and I remember texting Rob Demmead at the time and, and, you know, almost not boasting by any means, but kind of being like, oh, I'm going to have a Rob Demmead easy week, you know, like you taught me well type thing. Um, 
and and at that point you're probably six weeks out from an Olympic Games, and and if you've had a pretty good steady build up to that point, you're in a really good place. But make no mistake, six weeks out from a marathon, that that those next four weeks are that. Remember that the next four weeks to come at that point was the four or five weeks that I went to Fontrameau and joined Mo Farah, Andrew Butchard, Bashir Abdi, etc., etc. So what happens is you have this easy week, which is fine. Nobody's going to question that. Um, but then you get sick for two weeks, and you end up with a viral infection for two weeks. And you've, all, you've, made, the, you've made your priority to be healthy. I don't want to be stressed, traveling to the Olympics, not healthy, etc., etc. And so what ends up happening is you look at those six weeks, which probably are the six weeks which count the most. And you're looking at like 65 mile, 52, 52, fly to Japan, 62, 50, 40 race. And so, look, some of that, some of that just worked out the way it worked out. Some of that could not be helped. Um, some of it could. But if you're looking at the final eight weeks before an Olympic Games, and maybe you're averaging 60 mile a week. Now, I could talk about the average for London, but the difference between London and the Olympics is the average for London was a bit lower. Well, sorry, it, it was higher than what it was for the Olympics, but it was still a pretty low number. But there was a lot of very high intensity. So there was a lot of really hard track sessions, there was a half marathon race where I ran bloody 440 pace for 13 mile. It's it's essentially uncomparable. Um, so what's happened post Olympics is when I when I my very very first statement that I made on the podcast was I'm going to physio, and this week I'm getting physio three times, and it's not because I'm injured, but it's because I'm very well aware that since the Olympics I've gone from an athlete who you know was running. I'm going to say 70 to 80 miles a week because that's what you're going to find on Strava. But the reality is, had I not been sick, had I not been taking an easy week, had I not been traveling to Japan, I would have been aiming for 90.95. So I would I would tell people, I'm not going to boast that I'm a 70 to 80 mile a week runner because I'm not. I was actually like a 90 to 95 mile a week runner if if I had no injuries, if I wasn't sick, if I wasn't traveling, 90 to 95 mile a week was roughly what I would hit. Um, and that's roughly what I did for four or five weeks um, up at altitude in Font Rameau last year. Now, since the Olympics, and I realized that the biggest problem at the Olympics was I simply hadn't ran enough. And I watched a, I watched a documentary on Team Sky a while back, um, and, and basically they talk about Mark Cavendish, and he drops out, and Mark Cavendish is the world champion. Hold on, they have a drink of coffee. So Mark Cavendish, the world champion, drops out, and the team, his t- the team around him sit down to have a bit of a meeting, okay? So they've all sat down, they have a bit of meeting, and they say, you know, what happened to Mark? And, and it's really simple. What happened to Mark was he wasn't fit enough. He wasn't fit enough to meet the demands of the race. So, was I fit enough to run a full marathon? Of course I was fit enough to run a full marathon. Was I fit enough to run a full marathon 
and be competitive in Olympic Games? Not even close. And I, and I feel like that's really quite simple. Now, we could get complicated and we could say, did the tablets play a role in terms of your motivation to train hard, in terms of your motivation to train more? Perhaps. Um, was there other factors? Did I spend six weeks up a mountain in Flagstaff by myself with no coach support, um, no bike support, no real other athletes to train with. Yeah, that that's kind of a fact. Um, but all these things play a role. And ultimately, basically, what's happened then since the Olympics is I've tried to I've tried to correct a lot of those things. Um, now, the reason I was really confident for the Olympics was because I wasn't I was blind. If you go to bed every single night of the week at half eight, you think you're pretty fucking focused. If you've just lived up a mountain, training mostly by yourself for six weeks, you think you're pretty fucking focused. And so your brain believes that it deserves a good result because the application has been fucking phenomenal. But I felt like one of the biggest problems was, had I had a coach, the coach wouldn't really give a shit that you were up a mountain. The coach wouldn't really give a shit that you were going to bed at half eight every night. He'd expect that from you, and he'd be delighted that you were doing it. But ultimately, that coach would say, Stephen, I'm looking at the numbers here, and the numbers suggest that you haven't trained enough to run well. He doesn't really, because he's not up the mountain, because he's not seeing you go to bed early, Norma Tech, gym, blah, blah, blah. He just looks at the numbers, sees that you've been running 50 to 60 mile a week for those final five to six weeks, and, and he's probably going to be, like, really stressed, thinking there's no fucking way this athlete is going to run well because simply haven't done the work, haven't done the training. And there's a big... In order to be successful, what you do outside of training is very, very important, right? The, the other 22 hours of your day outside of, you know, one to two hours of training is very, very, very important. That's what separates professionals from, you know, club level, the amateurs, right down to beginners. How you spend that other 22 hours a day. That's it. If you don't do the fucking training, you stand no chance. Zero. You know, you can't, you can't not run and expect to be a fucking good runner. And so, so, now, since I've waffled a bit, you come away from Tokyo, and what you do is you fix, you fix what you thought was wrong. You get yourself a, a coach, a mentor that's going to hold you accountable to the training. And that's really fucking important. You, you correct a couple of other things. You surround yourself. You put yourself in an environment where you have bike support. Um, you know, where you have, like, I, I have physio in Northern Ireland and, and all these things. And I do get treatment up in Flagstaff, but um, it's, it's more than... You need more than just treatment, you know, you, you need to have, it's nice to have friends around, it's nice to have family around, um, it's really nice to have bike support from a physiologist a couple of times a week, you know, I, I meet friends for runs and there's a really good dynamic for me here in Belfast, but make no mistake, if I've gone from running 10 mile a day, which is 70 mile a week, to running 17 miles a day, 16, 17 miles a day, which is 110 to 120 mile a week, 
I've also added in the altitude tent. So I'm currently, and some people are going to think this is absolute madness. I think it's fucking awesome. But I, I currently have two altitude tents in the house. One is in the living room and it's a big tent. So it's a, it's called the extra large altitude tent. Um, and in there you can put sofa. Um, I have my TV stand. I have my TV. Um, I have a fan. And then I have my bike because I wanted the bike in the turbo um, at altitude. And so I have all that set up and I spend about, I'm going to say about six hours a day in that tent. And it's usually, it's usually 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., which is easy. 7 to 10, watch TV, watch the football, whatever you want to do. Um, and then I move from that altitude tent using the same generator. So I have a generator that pumps altitude into it. I take that lead that's pumping the oxygen or the altitude in, or it's basically pumping nitrogen in, which changes the composition of oxygen in the air to simulate altitude. Um, I move that into the bedroom tent, fill the bedroom tent up, and sleep in the bedroom from 10 o'clock until 8. And that's, I, I think it works out about 16 hours because I do an afternoon stint. I do like, when I finish training and I had some breakfast, I usually do 12 o'clock until three or four. And I put the altitude really high for that part. So I'm, it might be like 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet. Um, and basically I'm just doing that for metabolism. You know, it'll help me get the race weight. It, it makes my like body metabolize better. Um, and then if I'm willing, twice a week, at the minute twice a week, I jump on the bike and I, I do a bike session. At, you know, it depends when I get on the bike. Like if I get on the bike when the altitude's at its highest, well then it's gonna be nine or 10,000 feet. If I get on the bike pretty early and the tent hasn't completely, um, I guess, filled up with all the nitrogen you're gonna pump into it, well then it might only be 8,000 feet or, um, but it's really fucking hard, let me tell you. Like, but I guess like, since I've been off the medication, and I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to stop medication, by the way, because it plays a really important role and, and believe me, I've been, I've been a lot more stressed since coming off the medication, a lot more anxious, um, struggling, you know, um, struggling in relationships, and that's friends, and that's family, and, and, and you know, other side of things. And, and that's, that's just part of the problem. You know, if I told you, I could tell you about how good running is going, because it really fucking is. Like, I'm getting very, very fit. But if I told you about, like, the, in, the ins and outs of life over the last four weeks, you know, like I'm falling out with people, I've fallen out with really close friends um, and, I, and I don't necessarily know if I'm in the right or the wrong sometimes, but at the same time, I'm just not letting people walk over me anymore. Like it's like I'm sticking up for myself, like I'm thinking to myself, Do you know what, whether I'm right or wrong here, you've made me feel a certain way, whether it's upset, whether it's angry, whether it's you know, a bit let down. And because you've made me feel like that, I've decided that I don't think this relationship is as good as it could be. And, and that can be a friendship one, um, that can be love life, that can be um, sports management. There, there's been all sorts going on that changes that I've probably just decided. I, you know, I, I think this is for the best. And maybe on the medication, you're you're a lot more balanced. But I, But I also personally, I also think it made me a bit of a pushover. And because I was a bit of a pushover, like, 
whether people will agree with this or not, but the Conor McGregor that walked in the ring and was really nice and was really polite and, and bowed and, and all these sexy things, you know, real, oh, what a bloke, you know, dead, new Conor McGregor, you know, brand new, he's not slavering to people, he's not mouthy, he's, but he got beat, you know, and he got beat convincingly. And so, like, when you lose, the problem for me is when I lose that wee anxious part of me and I have that wee chimp in my head that's that's anxiety riddled and, and, and angry all the time and but see that wee fucker that I sometimes would be like, oh, will you shut up? In certain situations, that little fucker's going to get me in trouble, big time. But when it comes to training to be a professional runner, that's the backbone of my training because that little fucker doesn't want to sit on the sofa for a couple of hours. That little fucker wants to jump on the bike and he can't wait to push and push and push and push and then and then sit on the bike and go, oh, fuck. Like, because he loves that. that. That's his all day. He loves pushing and pushing and pushing. And then a result of that, that creates a really high level of fitness, which allows that athlete, myself, to go to the likes of Boston Marathon, to go to London Marathon, to go to Lauren Half Marathon. Now, of course... You need to learn to control that part of you. There's no doubt about that. Like that's no one's going to argue with that. And you can't push all the time. And during a, during like a tapering phase, you need to be really careful about managing your, you know, if we want to call it a chimp or that part of you that eats you alive if you're not training a bit more. Um, of course, you have to control it. But basically, I am training a lot more and and doing a lot more to get my body in a good place to be successful um, at Boston. And and I'm really excited about that. I, I really am really, really excited. And to be perfectly honest, I, I picked running over life. You know, I, I, I could have kept taking the medication. You know, would have I, I would have walked around feeling content most days with less training, feeling content about my goals. But I, I think I'm good enough that I, that I need to pick pick something I'm really fucking good at and try to be really good at it rather than just, you know, coasting along content in life. And and I'll I'm, I'll pick up other things, you know, like I, I am going to start speaking to a new psychiatrist um, in Belfast. I am trying to, you know, see friends. I am, oh, my car really annoys me. It has this like feature, active lane keeping assist in operative yeah, it has like a keeping you in your lane thing, but I've just gone over these bumps on the motorway and it's just started randomly like swerving. That's a nice sweet car though. Anyway, sorry about that. My car was upset me. Um, but yeah, look, I'm still going to do other things that um, you, I, you don't just give up on medication and then decide, oh, that's it. Like I'm fixed or anything like that. That's a horrible thing to say, actually fixed. But uh, I'm going to say my emotions are in check or my anxiety's in check or... But yeah, look, there's lots of things you can do. Um, I, I need to simplify life. Um, I need to not finish a 15-mile session in the morning and then decide to fly to England to bring my Mini Cooper back and jump on a boat. And um, I, I need to not be arguing with Airbnb guests, which I – not guests, sorry, Airbnb landlords, which means I end up in a bloody police station giving statements. And I just need to simplify life. <laughs> I'm just not doing myself any favors. I'm I'm trying to do all this training and 
and I just need to slow down, like get the training done, come home. And that was another big idea for the tent. You know, the, the tent's there to basically hold me accountable that in the afternoon I need to spend three hours at least in the living room in the tent. And so it stops me fucking around like and doing stupid things and adding stupid things to my life that I don't necessarily need. Um, now, something that I'm very excited about, um, as you, some of you might know, um, before I, well, okay, before I was a runner, in between retirement, I started playing rugby for a little while, so I, I played rugby all through school, um, amongst one of my retirements, one of them, that's horrendous, <laughs> um, amongst one of my retirements, I picked up rugby for a bit, um, if I'm perfectly honest, I really miss it, um, I miss like the whole team vibe. Um, I miss just having a laugh with other non-runners that don't really care about running. Like they might appreciate that you're good at it, but like they don't. Their them running is like a chore, and so they don't really understand, which is really nice. Um, but I, I just kind of miss the camaraderie and the just the fun element. Run, do you ever do you ever get to the point where like running just gets a wee bit too like? just a bit too lonely and you know I, god knows the last time i went to like a cross-country race with a team or like i just it just feels a very lonely like this is the this is the tough reality i'm gonna fly to boston in i think three weeks yesterday i'm gonna get to a race hotel and pretty much from when i get to that race hotel i'm gonna be alone and um, i'll probably share a room with someone that I've potentially never met before, and I'm sure we'll bond a bit, but like we'll both be nervous as shit, so we'll probably not bond that much. We'll probably talk about if training's going well or not, or like what our expectations are for the race, and and then you know we'll just deal with the fact that we're sharing a room with a stranger, um, and then you race, and then you fucking fly home, and <laughs> like so anyway, <laughs> it's pretty fucking lonely, and I'm not trying to. Look, that's the that's the stage you're on. That's the platform. What I really wanted to do was race Belfast, and and like because I'm getting pretty fit, and like you know I I feel like I could run maybe like two eleven even in Belfast. Like I know where my fitness is at. I know what I'm sort of doing. I know what it's adding up to. I know what the data's saying. Um, but the problem is. Well, okay, first of all, the problem is I have a contract to run Boston Marathon. So, and I also really want to do Boston. Boston's going to be amazing. But what I'm talking about, that's the stage you're on. Like, I don't know if, like, every now and again, and, and don't get me wrong here, I'm not Ed Sheeran, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I don't know if every now and again Ed Sheeran just thinks, I'd just quite like to go play at, like, the local this weekend and bring a few of my mates and, the local would really appreciate it and it's in my hometown and my mates would love it and they could all come watch. But at the end of the day, that's not Ed Sheeran's job. And so I guess I need to do my job and my job is to go to Boston and go to these big city marathons and, you know, whatever whatever that means. And sometimes it means being a bit lonely for a couple of days. And then if you run really well, your phone blows up and everybody gets really excited and, and it's all awesome. But then, like a day or two later, it just goes quiet again, and and everything's just back to being quiet. And so I've decided that, back to the rugby story, I'm going to help coach 
a little bit of coaching. Like, let's be honest, I don't know a lot about rugby coaching, but I know a lot about being a professional. I know a lot about fitness. I know a lot about running. Um, I know a lot about being intelligent in sport, especially when it comes to not just mental health in terms of happiness, but psychology around performance, like dealing with big days, dealing with disappointments, and dealing with mistakes, figuring out how to correct mistakes, etc., etc. So, um, my sports psychologist, as you know, is Gary Longwell. He played rugby for Ulster and Ireland for many, many years, and has a lot of contacts in rugby. and And it's something that he really thought I'd benefit from. We both talked about it, and and I sort of said like I'd love to be like pitch side again, and I'd feel involved with the club, and you know, hopefully a club at a at a you know pretty high level that sort of gets me excited that you know they could do well or, or they could you know um hang on i just needed my wee coffee my wee coffee fix i'm definitely a caffeine addict but basically i'm gonna start helping a club i mean i know the way my brain works and like it's probably something that i'll want to be really good at um it'll probably start off as you know me just watching and and seeing where i might be able to fit in and then it'll probably get to a point where, because of how my brain operates, I'll, I'll probably be researching rugby and rugby training and, and what the, what does this club do, what does this club do, and, and oh, I love it. I just love that's how my brain operates. Um, but yeah, tonight I'm going to go watch them play. I was really hoping it wouldn't piss down rain. Um, I have to do a progression run tonight, so I've done a session this morning, a fartlek. Um, and, and, you know, my new coach absolutely loves a little, he calls him a build run, but like, fuck. Like, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the start, I kind of looked at it and was like, oh, I quite like that because I can never be bothered going for like a five or six mile jog after a session. But now I've kind of got to the point where I'd be quite happy to just go for a five or six mile jog. And next week, oh my God, the training next week is really hard. Um, the next 10 days actually is really hard. There's there's a couple of really big sessions coming up that are probably going to test me quite a bit. Um, but I, but I, look, in in one way, life's in a really good place. You know, I'm I, I don't I find it hard to be like oh you know I'm happy and things like this. But in one way, life's in a brilliant place. In another way, in the last month of my life, people have came and gone from my life that you know played quite an important role and were really close to me and and you know that and in, that includes you know really close friends and people within the sport that were really close to me and and then yeah, you know like even relationship side of things like it it's not it's not easy but that's just the way life goes sometimes and I suppose you just have to deal with that and I can't blame Oh, and then also this whole bloody Airbnb landlord. He still hasn't paid me back, you know. Like, that that, that must get to the point where it's theft. Even the police officer had to ask him to pay me back, like, a week ago. And he still hasn't paid me back. Like, I don't really understand when that does become theft. Um, so there has been, like, stresses. But I guess sometimes that life is a bit like that. And, you know, part of living... In the world that we live in, you know, a lot of people listening might be Dublin, Southern Ireland, Northern Ireland, Belfast, Lisburn, UK, London, Manchester, and the name but a few places. We live in a we live in a world that's pretty hectic, and and we do a really 
fucking shitty job of simplifying it. Um, whereas I always think of someone like Kipchoge, which is probably a stupid thing to do, but but he's also the what the best right now. And I think of how simple his wee life. Now, don't get me wrong. Kipchoge probably worries for other people in his life, you know, the whole poverty side of things in Kenya and all that side of things. But I doubt very much he's, like, slobbering to a landlord about trying to get his rent money back or, like, I don't know, just being silly and arguing in relationships. And But, look, maybe he is. I guess I just... The picture I have in my head is that they go run... 12 mile in the morning and then they come back and they drink a cup of tea and they just relax <laughs> god there's some really nice houses down here I'm, I'm down in Galgorm really really nice houses but look maybe that's not the reality maybe maybe I have that wrong um, and if I do I do you know maybe maybe everyone gets stressed maybe everyone has demons maybe everyone would love to simplify life and I decided yesterday I'm going to be the calmest person in the world and, and I'm going to start treating myself like I'm the calmest person in the world, which which tests me. Because it means if, like, cars annoy me on the road, and let me intervene there, they, they would have annoyed me in the past. But now that I'm the calmest person in the world, they just don't annoy me anymore. But basically, your ego is the enemy. There's a lot of books on ego is the enemy. But my ego thinks I'm a bit of a tough guy. My ego thinks I should act like a tough guy would act. But see... See if you change that to I'm the calmest and softest person in the world and you act like that person. Look, do you know what I thought of yesterday, actually? This is really interesting. As I was driving on the motorway, I thought to myself, what would, how would the calmest person in the world drive? And, and the calmest person in the world would probably be in the inside lane just cruising along. And, and I, so I was, I was just cruising along and there was plenty of opportunities where I could go overtake. And I just thought to myself, if you make, if I, my journey home from, I was doing a run with a wee group over at Musgrave Hospital. If my journey home from that run is 12 minutes, right? 15 minutes. And if every now and again, I overtake a couple of people and woof, flew, flew past that person, yep, up the inside, and I get home in, I get home in 12 minutes instead of 14. And I, I, I save two minutes, right? But see, See if you crash once every five years and you sit on a motorway blocking traffic and it takes three hours for the police to come and then you spend God knows how much time onto the insurance and then you have to drive and get your car and take it to the insurance and all these kind of things. See all those minutes that you saved or half an hour's here or there if it's a longer journey. Like, was it worth it? And then see the stress that comes with all that faff. And even the stress that comes with like road rage or anything like that, was it really worth it? And that's what I'm I'm starting to, I'm trying to think like that and I want to program my brain like that. And see in today's session, I just thought to myself, you're trying to like hit these reps, you know, both fart like, womp, and, and I have to push a wee bit harder in fart legs because it's not marathon type stuff. And, you know, I have to push myself and I just went, what would the calmest person in the world do? And I feel like, Kipchoge might not be the calmest person in the world, but we all know that he behaves in a manner where he only pushes himself to maybe 85, 90%. And he still pushes himself and he still works. And he doesn't, he's not lazy. He doesn't go try to do his job and do it lazily, but he doesn't hammer. And by not hammering, you know, he saves himself a wee bit of stress. He saves himself a wee bit of like mental fatigue. 
and then he just fucking keeps showing up and doing that. And I pushed a little bit today. Like, I, I mean, I pushed probably a bit too hard today. But basically, basically the, the point is, even if I even if I held back a little bit more today, I'd have still got better today. I'd have still, the next time I'd have gone to do a, um, the next time I'd have gone to do a fart lick, it would still have been better than today's. Just because I showed up and got today's done, and because we're sports people, of course we're going to work. Once we're there, we're going to put the work in. But I think too many of us are exhausting ourselves on individual sessions or individual days in life and in training. And then because you're exhausted, you're really struggling to come back and do it again. Because it's fucking really hard. And your wee brain's probably going, oh, I don't know if I can do that today. Or I don't know if I want to do that today. But I got to love you and leave you because I now need to... Um, figure out where i'm going but appreciate you guys listening as always hope you gain something useful um checking out for now bye bye